You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the Brandy Show. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Brandstatter, and this is my podcast. We'll get together every week to talk about football, primarily the University of Michigan Wolverines and the Big Ten Conference, with occasional forays into the national picture. We'll also keep up with the Detroit Lions and the NFL. Along the way, we'll have some surprises. We'll certainly have some fun guests and take a tangent or two that has nothing to do with football, like old movies or cooking. Who knows what? Sit back and relax and enjoy The Brandy Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Episode 7 of The Brandy Show. Jim Brandstatter here, and uh, it's good to have you along. And today we got a really full and fun show. First of all, the Lions win. The Lions win. The Lions win. They beat New England 26-10. Really wasn't expected, but boy, was it needed. Uh, We'll talk about that. We'll have the NFL's best, and it's an odd week in the NFL. We'll also talk about Michigan's victory uh, over uh, Nebraska. What a win. They just bombed the Cornhuskers. We'll take a look at the Big Ten and get our eyebrow razors for this week. We'll also have a comment on Tiger Woods. Uh, his return to the winner's circle, and it's a comeback story for the ages, truly. Our two-deep trivia, get your thinking caps on out there, everybody. We're going back to 2005, and we're going to go with the Detroit Lions defense. And there's also a new movie out, and we're going to talk to uh, Tom Eufer. The movie is about Bob Eufer, Michigan's legendary football broadcaster. It's called Football's Valhalla, the Bob Eufer story. And we'll, we'll visit with Tom and talk to him about the premiere, which is coming up. On October 5th. In the meantime, let's talk about that story. The Lions beat New England. 26-10. The Lions win. The Lions win. The Lions win. It was a win that they needed desperately. And we're going to talk to John Neo of the Detroit News. Feature uh, writer, uh, beat writer for the Lions at times, also a columnist. John, how are you? I'm good, Tim. How are you? We're great. And uh, nobody better to talk to than you. This need, this win by the Lions was as appropriate, as meaningful as any that I can remember in a while because there were people ready to jump ship, weren't there? Yeah, there certainly were on the outside. And then you always wonder if there's anybody ready to jump ship on the inside, you know, with the new coach and the new regime, et cetera. Um, and you could see they showed the, the Lions put out the video of, of, of the postgame locker room celebration and you could see in some of the reactions in there just how much that victory meant obviously for personal reasons with Matt Patricia and all the Patriots former Patriots in that locker room but also like you said that team they needed a win you can't start 0-3 and make the playoffs or even consider making the playoffs in this league and you needed some validation too yeah whole new thing they've got going and you've been around a while how Important was this win. I mean, do you remember in the bat in the past a, a win that seemed to come at the the, the best time possible? Because I, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I I think back, and I think back to you know a couple of years ago when they beat some they beat Green Bay in Green Bay, and I thought that was huge. Right. But yeah. but really, this one. I mean, their whole season was I think hanging on the edge of a knife. No, for sure. And, and like I said, I mean, when you've got you know a new. You know, Matt Patricia brought in some changes, a lot of changes in the way they did things there. And um, and you could hear it in the fans. I mean, we, Monday night against the Jets, they 
people were shocked at how bad that was. Yeah. And from then on, it was, you know, they had, the fans were more than just skeptical of, of this whole thing, this whole operation. So you, they needed it not just for themselves, but I think the fans were ready to just revolt the way this had gone the first two weeks of the season. So no, it was, it was huge on a, on a lot of different ways. And then the way they won the game, I thought was really important too, because they, I mean, they kind of manhandled the Patriots and that's, you know, this whole off season is about getting tougher. We're going to run the ball finally after all these years, those kind of things. And they did those things against the Patriots of all teams. And I think that, I think, you know, going forward, we'll see, you know, you never know. It's a week to week thing in this league, but those are the kind of things that you can really build on too. Not just the fact that they won, obviously it was important, but the way they won, I think was important too. I agree. And I think too, I've been talking about this for a long time. Of course, You've heard it before. I'm an old dinosaur, but if you can't <laughs> if you can't run the ball exactly. and you don't stop yep. the run, you right. can't win. And for two no. weeks in a row, that's what this team couldn't do, and that's what this team said they were going to be able to do when they entered the season. And I think that's why there was such angst, and that yeah, this game sure. this yeah. game kind of answered that question, didn't it? It certainly did. And you know, I'll say I've been a bit of a I'm still skeptical about the run defense and I'm still, still skeptical, skeptical about easy for me to say about just how good that defense will be this season as the season goes along. Um, but the offensive line, I thought we even saw some signs against San Francisco out there. The game got away from them on the scoreboard. And so they had to sort of get away from the, the run game themselves, but you could see signs that, it, and there was going to be some more efficiency and certainly some talent there with carry on Johnson that, Maybe right. wasn't there before. Yep. Then you finally got to see you play with the lead. Hey, you can run the ball all game long, and they've been they were committed to it. Um, and you could see what happens when you're committed to it. And when you've got an offensive line, I mean, look, going back and watching the film of that game the other yesterday, I, you know, you saw it firsthand. But then to see those holes the way they were on, yeah. on the all twenty two, it's pretty remarkable. Um, the guys on the interior, Frank Ragnow, really good game. Uh, T.J. Lang coming back. Glasgow, to Glasgow was, the off the line. Yeah, Glasgow, Glasgow was had a great game. Had a huge yep. game. Yeah, John. Yeah, no, I mean, so Carryon Johnson looked great, but man, those holes looked even better. I think if you're a Lions fan. Well, last question, then I'm going to throw uh, two deep trivia at you. But <laughs> <laughs> this this win. Does it have to be validated? You go to Dallas <laughs> next. It's one of those things where you said it earlier. It's a week to week deal, and yeah, uh, you know, sure. right now everybody's riding on the top of the crest of this wave. But if, if you go down to Dallas and lay an egg, does it right. – and coaches have to avoid this kind of thinking, but the fans are the people that I think need the validation more than the team does. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and But the flip side is people looked at the early part of the schedule and thought, man, that looks pretty daunting. Patriots, Cowboys, Packers, back-to-back after those first two games. Well – you know, maybe not. I mean, Dallas's offense looks like a shambles right now. Um, they can't pass the ball. They're one-dimensional. Uh, and the Packers don't look like world beaters necessarily. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is sort of hobbling around. So suddenly there's an opportunity there before you get to the bye week. Well, hey, maybe it could be three and two or, you know, whereas, you know, a week ago we were talking about, God, they could start 0-5. What's going to happen then? So certainly the opportunity is there, but you're right. You got to go win the. You I was going to say the, the, the most week, Im- the most important thing is you got to do it. I mean, you can yeah. talk about it all you want, and you can live on the victory over New England, but.
but you got to do it on the road in Dallas. Yep. Dallas yeah. and Dallas is a different football team. Wherever they are, yep. wherever yep. they play, if they play in Dallas, you can almost count on them being seven points better. Yeah, and it's another it's another game though where you got to start fast. If you get ahead of Dallas and force them to pass the ball, I mean, if you get a lead early, and they did that a few years ago when they went down there, they had a great first half offensively, and then sort of went into a shell. I thought, but no, it's that's a game you can go win on the road if you get a lead. If Matthew Stafford and that offense can be this anywhere close to as efficient as they were Monday night or Sunday night, uh, that's certainly a winnable game. More nice. than a winnable game. Your your lips to God's ears, John. Let's let's <laughs> let's go play trivia too deep. I told you a little bit about this. This is where I've got all of these two deeps that I've had over thirty one years. And uh, is there a phone a friend on this? No, 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 no phone a friend. Okay. And uh, what was the other thing they did? You can't uh, buy a vowel either. So this is right. two thousand five. The Lions defense, and I, this is a very good front four. So can yeah, you remember who the front the four was? Who? I well. Big Daddy was in the middle there. Great, John. Um, See how good you're doing already? Big, That's Dan Wilkinson. Big Daddy was there. James Hall was up there, right? That is exactly right. You remember? Uh, well, this guy was one of the great uh, uh, great kind of uh, – when he wanted to be great, he was great and better than great. When he wasn't, he wasn't so much great. An enigma. <laughs> he was an interior. Le- remember Sean, Sean Rogers? No, yeah, I know, but you remember Sean Rogers? Oh yeah, Sean. I guess I. When he wanted to play, that was probably his third, second, third year. Yeah, that's right. right. It was his fifth. Actually, it was his fifth. But when he wanted to play, there wasn't anybody better. But then there were days where he didn't even show up. Who's the other defensive end though? Corey Corey Redding. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Ready for, yeah, no, up, that's the strength of that team. Yeah. Linebackers, uh, Boss Bailey was out there. Out of way, John. Post, that's Boss Bailey was outside. Post-knee injury, though, that was the, sort of the beginning of the end of Yes, it that. was. Yes, it was. Another, another. Do you know, hey, oh, draft I'm going to go back. You know who backed up James Hall that year? The two backup oh, defensive ends were really pretty cool. Kalimba Edwards and Jared DeVries. They oh, were yeah. They were backups right. back then, yeah. Right. Yeah, and and right. inside middle linebacker Teddy Lehman and Earl Holmes. Yep. And outside yep. backer was James Davis. Yep. Okay. Now Dre you. Dre Bly was there. There Dre you go. Bly I was going to go to the cornerbacks. I knew you'd get right. Dre Bly coming off a couple of Pro Bowl years. Yep. Came out of St. Louis. Uh, uh, they yep. got him in, uh, uh, as an unrestricted uh, unrestricted uh, free agent. Uh, the other corner was I, Fernando Bryant. The other thing I remember about Dre Bly, of course, that was the year. Of course, Mariucci gets fired. Yep. Thanksgiving, yep. and everybody's turning on everybody in that locker room. Dre Bly is calling out Joey Harrington, and uh, <laughs> Jeff Garcia. Jeff Garcia is calling out Matt Millen, and oh boy, I uh, know that was got, that it, yeah. be, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. <laughs> it, it was, you know, what that was an early Christmas present for all of us <laughs> because there was nothing <laughs> dull. Were out. Yeah, the exactly. Were out. Was uh, Fernando Bryant was the other corner, and remember the safeties. I mean, these these, are, these uh, safeties they surprised me actually. <laughs> but Kanoi Ken- Kennedy was one. Oh, yeah. And the other one was out of North Carolina State, and he was a draft pick for the Lions uh, in the fifth round in 03. It was Terrence Holt, remember? Oh, yeah, Terrence Holt. There yeah. you go. Yeah, no, that, see, that defense was – that defense, they held their own. They just couldn't come up – I mean, the offense <laughs> – and the, all the money had been spent on that offense with Joey Harrington, the, the receivers, Mike Williams, Roy Williams, 
Charles Rogers, yep, uh, Kevin yep. Jones. I mean, that was, you know, that's where that team fell apart is because those guys that they'd invested in yep. couldn't do it. You're exactly Could not right. Do it. You're exactly and then Dick right. Duran gets the, gets the helm there at the end of the season. And some people thought he might get the job after the season, but he didn't. Yep. And uh, that's and our off we went. that's our two deep trivia and John Neo. All right. Thank you for playing. You can pick your parting gifts up at the door on the way out. <laughs> All right, thank you, John. Great thank job. You. Appreciate your work on the Lions and uh, good hey, luck down in Dallas this week. Hey, it's good to talk to you again, Jim. We will see you soon. Great deal. Thank you, John Neo, Detroit News columnist, the uh, feature writer. He's uh, one of the best in town. We appreciate him joining us to talk about the Detroit Lions. Let's move on Ooh. now and talk a little bit about uh, the National Football League this past week. Uh, Strange stuff going on. It really was. I mean, the Bills beat the Vikings 27-6 in Minnesota. Didn't see that coming. The Redskins pounded the Packers 31-17. Didn't see that coming. Titans beat the Jags. Jags were unbeaten. 9-6 that game. The Saints can't stop anybody from scoring, but boy, they can sure score. They win 43-37. Chiefs beat the 49ers 38-27. Jimmy Garoppolo. The quarterback for the 49ers gets an ACL injury. He's out for the year. The 49ers might very well just sink into the San Francisco Bay. Without Garoppolo, they've got real problems. The other surprise team in the league, how about those Chicago Bears with Khalil Mack? They beat Arizona 16-14. They are now in first place, everybody, in the NFC North. The Chicago Bears. Pretty amazing. I think the best teams in the league at this point, given what happened last week, Two teams stand out, in my opinion, the Los Angeles Rams and the Kansas City Chiefs. This Patrick Mahomes for Kansas City, their quarterback, I mean, he's special. I mean, he really has gotten the job done. And I think on balance, um, if you had to put a team in the Super Bowl right now, uh, the Los Angeles Rams are that team. They're really, really good. I think uh, the next tier down from those two, uh, the Dolphins and Ravens, uh, I thought the Ravens uh, win this past week was good, and everybody else, in my opinion, in the league battling to be 500. So that's kind of where the NFL was this week, and my thoughts on that. And one last thing, targeting and the uh, unnecessary roughness call on quarterbacks, I've got to talk about it. <laughs> for the third straight week, Clay Matthews of Green Bay Packers got flagged for unnecessary roughness on taking a quarterback down. Uh, you saw Mike. McCarthy on the sideline of the Packers going absolutely nuts that he thought it was a bad call. I thought it was a bad call, too. And I think Clay Matthews is getting to be the poster child for this. But the problem is, and they've got to revisit it. Even watching the Sunday and Monday night games, there were commentators, even Tony Dungy, who wouldn't say anything bad about anybody. Um, He wouldn't say anything bad about Lord Voldemort, for God's sake. And Tony Dungy thought that there was a problem and they had to revisit this unnecessary roughness and how you treat the quarterback rule. And here's the problem I see. It is fundamentally changing a precept in the game. Back in the day and throughout football, one of the most important positions is quarterback. Defenses used to say, let's hit the quarterback if we keep hitting him and we keep hitting him. Over the course of a game, legally now, I'm not talking about illegally. I'm talking about as soon as he releases the ball, get a shot at him, knock him down, make him get up. And those are not illegal hits, okay? That in the fourth quarter, if you kept doing that, if you kept doing that, and he, that quarterback in his mind, started thinking, here comes a hit, and he threw the ball a little bit early, or or he didn't wait until the route completed and threw the ball in the wrong spot. 
it affected the game. And now that doesn't exist. If, if you're going to do what you're doing with quarterbacks today, say that they're untouchable. Well, then you take sacks out of the game, which I think is a really big play for the defense. It's a negative play. But it used to be part of the game where if you hit the quarterback and kept hitting him and hitting him through three, through four quarters, you could see his play kind of diminish and decrease in its uh, efficiency uh, through the fourth quarter. Hey, look, it's a tough game. It's a physical game. That's the kind of thing that you do as a coach in football. You can out-physical a team. You can dominate a team. You get to the point where you take the will of that other guy to not compete. It sounds tough. It sounds nasty. But that's what the game is about. If you can take the will of that guy that's across from you, out of him that he doesn't want to compete anymore, you've got a better chance to win. Part of hitting the quarterback, not illegally. I'm not talking about waiting until you know, the play is long overdue. Those calls are accurate when you rough the quarterback after he is done throwing the ball. You hit him too late, you should get the call. Clay Matthews didn't hit these guys too late. They had just got done delivering the ball. He was already in the process of his momentum going toward the quarterback to hit him, and they throw the flag on the guy. Well, that's taking away a vital part of a defense's strategy to win that football game. To me, they got to revisit it. They got to rethink it because they might as well just, and I know this sounds weird, but they've said it in the past. Let's put skirts on the quarterback and just not let them play, not let them have contact, because that's what it's becoming. And that takes that vital part of the game of physicalness out of the game. And to me, that's what I think a lot of people go see. The fans, they enjoy that part of the game. The physical hits, those are things that are important. And with this NFL and this unnecessary roughness deal, I'm telling you, it's getting out of hand and it needs to be corrected and revisited. Let's move to the college game. Michigan beats Nebraska 56-10. to Wow. It's really getting better in Ann Arbor. And again, I go back to what I just talked about. It's about physical play. The offensive line in the game against Nebraska totally dominated Nebraska's front. And uh, you even heard one of the players on Michigan say after the game that they lost their will to play. And there's only one reason they did it. And that was because Michigan was a bully. And that's what you got to be sometimes when you want to win football games. In the context of football, you want to knock the other guy around enough where he don't want to go out there and play anymore. And you win the football game. And Michigan was very physical. And this is every team. I'm not talking about Michigan. Every team that's out there competing has this in the back of their mind, that we want to be physical. We want to out-hit the guy that's our opponent. We want to take his will away to compete. And that's how you win football games. And Michigan did that against Nebraska. I think they're creating an identity of being physical. And uh, that's important, I think, particularly for the offensive line. Defensively, I thought they were physical again. They didn't allow Nebraska to breathe. They were all over them. Devin Bush is an amazing young player, little linebacker. He plays sideline to sideline, um, well-coached. He's got great speed. He uses that talent, that physical ability to, to really get the job done. I, I thought Michigan's win against Nebraska was a turning point, if you will, uh, for this team because they now know what it's going to take to go up there to Wisconsin and uh, Penn State and all these other big-name teams, Michigan State and Ohio State, and compete with them 
and be physical and out-physical them. They've got the taste of it. Now let's hope that taste doesn't go away. Around the Big Ten, I think this is important. Uh, Wisconsin beats Iowa in Iowa last week, 28-17. I think the West division in the Big Ten may be over now. Um, Wisconsin beating Iowa really, I thought, did the job there. You look at the West, their overall record at this point, they're just 12-13 and on the year. So I think Wisconsin's win at Iowa really put them in the catbird seat of winning the Western Division and maybe heading to that Big Ten Championship game in Indianapolis. Michigan State beating Indiana in Indiana 35-21. Big game for Michigan State. That means, I think, that they keep themselves in the race and really set up a potential showdown with uh, Penn State in a couple of weeks. The biggest game, though, in the conference this coming week is Ohio State at Penn State. Both teams in the uh, Big Ten Eastern Division, that game right there is huge. And then Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, those four big heavyweights are going to be battling each other now in the next six to eight weeks. And that's where the Big Ten East is going to be decided. A couple of eyebrow raisers in the Big Ten. Maryland beats Minnesota 42-13. Minnesota came into that game as a uh, as an unbeaten team. And Maryland beat him. Now, Maryland is a big surprise team. Maryland, with their coach, D.J. Durkin, not there because of preseason problems in regards to their coaching. They were bullying, and a player in early uh, camp died. Uh, D.J. Durkin, the head coach, is not there. And, and they have a lot of problems in Maryland, and yet this team somehow has come together and closed ranks, circled the wagons, and become a darn good football team. And their win over Minnesota – I thought it was a big win in this conference, and it makes Maryland, I think, a little bit of a player in the Big Ten East. So be careful. Maryland's going to get somebody before it's over. And Purdue beating Boston College, one of the biggest surprises, I think, of the weekend. I didn't think Purdue could beat anybody. And then they go out and beat Boston College. Just goes to show you, don't underestimate the emotions of a 17- or 18-year-old young man. Uh, Purdue came up, and I think took care of Boston College when Boston College did not see it coming. Last thing I want to talk about before we go to a break is Tiger Woods. Tiger wins the Tour Championship. Maybe the biggest story of the weekend. Maybe, to be quite frank, the biggest story of the year. In 1999 to 2002, without question in my mind, he was the greatest golfer of all time. Then he fell from grace. He cheated on his wife. He had DWIs. His image was a bit arrogant during that time. He was difficult to work with. He was unapproachable, not user-friendly. And with all the problems that he had from a PR standpoint, um, the serial philandering, that kind of thing, uh, it really hurt his image. And, and I think at the same time, he fell from grace on a public relations le- level. There's no doubt he was a great player. But he sh- fell short in other public figure categories, if you will. Physically, he was a mess. He had... Knee and back surgeries. He's had back fusions. Uh, this guy went from the penthouse to the outhouse like few others in history. But more than the victory this past weekend in the Tour Championship, he had a rehabilitation not just as a player but as a human being. And I think this is my take. A lot of people have a lot of different takes on this. The sports fans and the golf fans helped. They actually helped Tiger, I think, more than Tiger helped himself. Don't get me wrong. Tiger's ability to come back from back fusions, the work he had to put in, was remarkable. 
and get to the point where he could win against the best players in the world. But you saw his body language. You saw the fans put their arms around him and embrace him. That hadn't happened in a while. He was always standoffish to them. I really believe that he realized life as a human. He wasn't a human before. He was this golfing machine. There was this solitary focus on himself and nothing else got inside. Well, he let some people in finally during his difficulties, and he found out it was okay. It may have even been better than okay. I think he's different because he started to treat those around him differently. His physical comeback is all on him and that hard work. It's unbelievable. But his image comeback is not only on him but on others. And it's not his posse. It's not the entourage that's around him, not his agent. It's about those people that reached out to him from outside the ropes that he all of a sudden embraced and they embraced him and he thought, hey, life's okay. Now, if he adds a major championship, I'm going to tell you something. This guy will be all the way back. But in the meantime, think about this, folks out there. If you've got an issue and you're down and things don't go right, there are people out there that can help. And I think Tiger was at that point, and he needed that help. And even though he may not have reached it, he realized that it was there. And all of a sudden, those fans, those people that loved him all along, he realized that I have a base, that I can change and still be okay and still play well. And I think that that is the biggest story of this comeback. Physically remarkable, great player, wins a tournament against the best in the world, but image-wise and personally, I think Tiger Woods is a better person and a better place now than he ever was when he was the greatest of all time. Don't go away. When we come back, we're going to visit football's Valhalla. This is The Brandy Show. The Brandy Show is a Zing Media Group production. Zing Media Group, tell your story. Hi, I'm Terry Cochran with the Law Offices of Cochran, Kroll & Associates. For over 30 years, I have devoted my professional career as an attorney to representing victims sustaining serious personal injuries, including traumatic brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, and burns. If you have sustained a serious personal injury, please call my office at 1-866-MICH-LAW or visit our website at CochranLaw.com. There is no fee until we win. Welcome back, everybody, to The Brandy Show. How about let's take a visit to football's Valhalla? Well, if you folks are Michigan fans and you know Bob Eufer, you know football's Valhalla is where Bob Eufer is right now. And uh, the movie is called Football's Valhalla. The Bob Eufer story, and joining us on the phone is Tom Eufer, the son of Bob Eufer. And this has got to be cool for you, Tommy, the fact that your dad is going to be now immortalized, if he's not already immortalized in all the audio recordings, but now his life is going to be on film in a documentary. On October 5th, Brandy, it's the darnest thing. About five years ago, I meet Dan Chase, and he, if you remember, he did the documentary on Dr. Billy Taylor, that perseverance. And about three years ago, Dan came back and said, hey, youth, I want to do a story, and you're old man. I want to do a documentary. And I said, Dan, I love the idea, but where's your storyline? 
you know, Graham and Grandpa, his mom and dad graduated from Michigan in 1915 and 1917. Dad had some success in the early 40s and he was here in track and he broadcast Michigan football for five decades. I said, help me, Dan, where's the storyline? <laughs> <laughs> And Brandy, he went off. He said, "You know, you've you got to understand. I, I want to do something about the love of Michigan, finding your passion, being enthusiastic." And Brandy, as you and I know, and Dad spoke to it so much more than just the football Saturdays. You got a living, living alumni base, yep. largest alumni base in the world, and all about the relationships over the years that you form and the positive memories about your college years. And uh, he went out, Jim, and he, he interviewed, you know, guys like yourself and Deardorff and Beckman and then the coaches, Jack and Jimmy Harbaugh yep. and Jerry Hanlon and Lloyd Carr and former players, and uh, there we have it. But the thing about your dad, and I think that when he says things, when Dan Chase, who actually put the film together, talks about your dad, it's not just his passion, but he had a passion, but he also had a delivery system. He was... He was unique in that regard, and that's what took him, I think, over the top. And you as a young lad watching your dad work had to be amazed at how he was so in love with this program that he created this persona that has lasted over the years. Brandy, for dad, I was fortunate the last five years I was a spotter up in the box. And to be that close to it and see Dad live on stage, it was it was totally a labor of love to Dad. And Jim, where he Dad was unique. I was born in 1955, and at the time, Dad was doing the Michigan broadcast, and he had opportunities from both ABC and NBC to go national. And the doctors here at the hospital said, "Hey, you for when I was born, Brandy, Dad was in the hospital with ulcerative colitis." Uh. And his doctor said, Youf, if you try to do this 12 months of the year, you can't do it. And so that's where dad was unique, where he didn't use the college game as a stepping stone to go become a national broadcaster. He just stayed here. And the doctor said, Youf, you can do it, but you got to do it only no 10 or 11 times a year. So he would do it every Saturday in the fall to his beloved University of Michigan. <laughs> the other thing about it is, is that, uh, his, his calls of the game were so iconic, and he became such a uh, fixture at, at Michigan. When did it happen that he also became this part of the athletic department for some to, to some degree? Here's this guy. He's an insurance salesman, and he announces football games. And yet there's Don Canham, and there's Bo Schembechler saying, will you talk to the team? Will you come over and help recruit? When did all that happen? Brandy, it started, Dad and Canham were very close in their track days in the 40s. In 1968, Fritz Chrysler, if you remember back then, the football coach would retire, become the AD. Right. Fritz was AD here from 1948 to 1968. Dad went out when Fritz was retiring, and he went out with Marcus Plant, who was at the law school, and they went out on weekends in February and March back in 1968, and they talked to all the regents. And Dad sold hard about his buddy, on Canham. He said, look at Regents, we need a guy who not only loves Michigan, but's also a businessman. And I have in my office, Jim, it's a dangerous thing, a handwritten note from Canham thanking Dad for getting him the job wow. in AD in 1968. Wow. And then Bo comes in, Jimmy, 
And Bo happens to have the same birthday of dad, April 1st. So over the years, the coaching staff, our house, I mean, Susie Burton, Jack Carbaugh talked about a couple of you got youth. I remember going over to the birthday parties at your house or at Bo's house on April 1st with the coaching staff. So dad had that tie to Bo. Then the second weekend in February, when Bo would bring in the Saturday, Bo would bring in the top recruits in America, and Dad gave the closing speech to these kids, saying, "Look at guys, you're not a Michigan man for four years; you're a Michigan man for life." And uh, he lived it, Jim. Oh, I know. He and lived it. If, I mean, if you want to talk about a closer, Bob Eufer was a closer man. <laughs> he could close a recruit fast. He was so good at but, it. In, in Brandy, it was all from the heart. Yep. It was There's nothing phony about Dad. That's where he was unique. When he went to JR in 76, and they're going, oh, my God, this you for show will never play. Dad was, hey, guys, you're going to take me as I am. I mean, Dad did it on a handshake with WJR. They, <laughs> they paid Dad a whopping $30,000 a year in 1981 to do the broadcast, and Dad would have done them for free. Yeah. Well, the other thing, talk to me about the film real quickly. Um, does it get back to the days where your dad was this iconic track star? Your dad, I mean, he was known for being this football announcer, yet he had a distinguished athletic career. Does it get back to that point? Brandy, uh, I believe it does. He's got a nice shot of dad running an indoor meet in Madison Square Gardens in 1942. Dad in 38 in Pennsylvania, Brandy, led the state of Pennsylvania in scoring in football. Goes to prep school to do a PG year in 39, comes here in 40. Freshman can't play varsity football, so dad played freshman football. Uh, spring of his freshman year, he goes out for track and he breaks all the records from the hundred and a half mile. And they said, "You for you got to give up football. You don't. <laughs> you can't risk. You can't risk Brandy injuring your legs." And he goes on with the the track thing. Brandy he runs a forty eight one indoor quarter in nineteen forty two. It's a it was a four year world record and thirty seven year Michigan varsity record. Amazing guy. Amazing guy. Okay. Tommy, uh, I'm going to throw this at you, and then I'm going to tell you what mine is. Kind of, this is a, a truncated shot clock part of our interview. Uh, your favorite call of your dad's over the years? Billy Taylor and Anthony Carter. The two Johnny of them. Johnny Wangler and Anthony Carter. Those two. That, that, that one was the one where he said, look at Coach Schembechler's running down the sideline, looking up at Fielding H. Jost and football's Valhalla saying, thank you, Fielding, thank you. Good memory, Brandy. Thank you. Uh, I'll never forget that one. Of course, touchdown Billy Taylor. I was on that team, and I was one of the first guys to meet. You know what one of my favorite was? He was in Columbus, and Michigan had beaten Ohio State. And he said, there's 5,000 Michigan Wolverine fans cheering on a victory for the Wolverines and 95,000 truck drivers who are very upset. (laughs) Do you remember that one? Brandy, five, yeah, exactly, 5,000 Michigan fans and 95,000 truck drivers here in the Horseshoe in Columbus. I mean, he would come up, Jimmy, his preparation. Oh, I know. He would prep. I mean, Joe Falls used to walk into the box and said, you, for, you can paint the window black, <laughs> and you can do three games off your 5 by 7 cards. You have plastered all over your desk. Where did he come up with he's down the sideline like he's got a hot herring in his cummerbund? Where did he come up with like that one? Pin- do you know? Like a penguin with a hot herring in his cummerbund? <laughs> exactly. Brandy, 
Dan would sit there. I remember sitting. He'd have God. He'd sit there on Sundays and watch the NFL games. Cosell and Gifford and the guys, Dapper Dan, and they'd come up with these different lines. And Dan would have a little pad of paper and he'd jot it down and he'd do this stuff. And that Dad, please, he goes, someday I can use this. Someday I can use this. Then the other thing, we'd go on insurance calls on Wednesday. Dad would have me. He's driving. I'm doing three by five cards, and he'd make me. He'd go through the different names and numbers. So I'd say, Dad, who cares about the third string running back for Northwestern? He said, Tom, if the first two kids go down, the third kid gets in, WJR covers over in Chicago. The parents could be listening. I owe the kid's parents to know where the kid is. So Dad would memorize two and three deep of the opposing team starting on Wednesday before the Saturday game. Oh, it's unbelievable. Okay, the premiere is at the Michigan Theater on October 5th in Ann Arbor, right? Yes, it is. And for your listeners, Jim, to get tickets, they got to go to the Michigan Theater website. It's mishtheater.org slash schedule. Then scroll down to October 5th, or they can call the Michigan Theater 734-668-8397. Again, October 5th. Seven o'clock at the Michigan Theater, and uh, brother Dan Chase has done himself proud. Yeah, three years, Brandy. The guy put three years into this. Football's Valhalla, the Bob Eufer story. Hey, tell me now about the the ability to get DVDs of this too. That's that's out there too, isn't it, Tommy? I was with Scott Hurth, and Scott, God bless him, has been all over this thing, the owner of the M-Den, and he just e-blasted this morning at 837 Brandy to 317,000 customers who have bought from the M-Den over the last 10 years online that they can order one right now for 1995 and save $5 from the list price if they order now, and those DVDs will be sent out in early November. Uh, beautiful. Thanks, Tom, very much. We appreciate you joining us. Jim, had a, had a great time, my friend. Take care. You bet. You too. Tom Eufer talking about uh, his father's uh, documentary movie coming out, premiering on October 5th. Bob Eufer. Uh, football's Valhalla, the Bob Eufer story. Uh, that's our show for today. We want to thank you for being along. Uh, don't forget, tune in Saturday to the Michigan game. And if you come across our Facebook page, Jim Brandstatter, we would love it if you liked it. You can follow us on Twitter at Jim Brandstetter. Make sure to tune in to Inside Michigan Football. Sunday mornings, 1030 on Channel 7 in Detroit. We also air at various times during the week on Fox Sports Detroit. Special thanks to Podcast Detroit for the technical help each week. Thanks to Zing Media Group's Kathleen Stevens, our producer. Keep us on your radar each and every week, everybody. Beth Cochran is my daughter and law partner at the law offices of Cochran, Kroll & Associates. With enthusiasm and hard work, she champions the rights of injured victims throughout the state of Michigan, and especially auto accident victims. If you or a family member have been involved in a serious automobile, truck, or motorcycle accident, call our office at 1-866-MICHLAW or visit our website at CochranLaw.com. Remember, there is no fee until we win.